Please join me in your copies of God's Word, where this evening we'll be back in the book of Colossians. This evening we're reading specifically Colossians 3, uh, 18 through 21. Uh, chapter 3, 18 through 21. Now in chapter uh, 3 so far, Paul has spent really the bulk of the time discussing uh, what we could broadly refer to as our sanctification. Um, both in its negative and its positive aspects, he spent some time looking at our mortification. Uh, we're to put off, we're to put to death that old sinful nature. And he spent some time, the last uh, couple lessons we looked at, at our vivification, that positive aspect, that uh, aspect of our sanctification where we put on, where we do right, where we uh, live in step with the new man and what Christ has made us. In verses 15 through 17, Paul gave us uh, finally some specific instructions. Uh, if, if you're like me, hopefully you can appreciate when God's Word does this. It's All of God's Word is good, uh, but sometimes I think in, in our weakness, uh, it's difficult for us when it's just left at uh, simple instructions and simple uh, commandments. It, it can be difficult to put it into effect and put it into action. And so Paul, in those last few verses, gave us some very specific, uh, kind of down-on-the-ground, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, here's what you actually do with that type of instructions. And I appreciate that. Today, um, Paul is continuing that. In a sense, we could look at what we looked at last time in 15 through 17 as uh, Paul acknowledging, as we've done throughout the book of Colossians, that Christ is the preeminent Lord, specifically in those last few verses that he is preeminent Lord over our relationships with the church. This evening, that same idea is continuing, but now being applied within the household, within the Christian family. And Christ is the preeminent Lord of everything. And so what does that look like lived out in your house? With your husband, with your wife, with your children? And in a few weeks, maybe, maybe a month, depending, uh, we'll even get to the question and application to your work. So we're going to read the entirety of verses 18 through 21, uh, but we are going to focus specifically on wives this evening, husbands next time, and then children after that. I initially uh, thought this was all going to be in one sermon, and honestly, I think that would have been convenient for me, uh, as, as this is a topic which can sometimes uh, isn't the most popular, at least the one we're talking about this evening. Uh, I, was, I was hoping I could squeeze in there the commandments to husbands and children to where, you know, you didn't feel picked on, ladies. Uh, but I just, you know, through thought and through prayer and through preparation, uh, realized a few things. One, it was simply too much to convey. Uh, didn't want to keep us here for 45, 50, 60 minutes. Uh, and then also, I think this is a topic which has been either, if I'm being nice, ignored in our culture... Or if I'm being honest, outright denied and rejected altogether. And so the more time we can spend in it, I think, the better. And so if you want, if you're one of those that are taking good notes, if you want to make a little correction there in your bulletin, and you can add after that title uh, a part one, the submissive wife. And so we're going to pray. We're going to read the entirety of verses 18 through 21 to get the full context. And then we're going to come back and focus really on Paul's commandment there to wives. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you now in recognition that this is not man's word, 
This is not some pastor's word. This is ultimately not even just Paul's word. But Father, we come before you in recognition that ultimately this is God's word. Uh, that yes, though, though Paul wrote it, that it was Paul's hand which held the pen, which struck the words upon the page, that it was the Holy Spirit which inspired authoritatively every word in this book. And so, Father, in recognition of that, we ask that you would soften us as your people to be receptive to receive it. Father, grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and soften even the stoniest and most rigid of hearts to be able to receive it as it is preached. Father, we pray that through the preaching and the hearing and hopefully, Lord, ultimately the obedience to your word, we pray that your people would be sanctified, that your kingdom would be furthered, and that King Jesus would receive every ounce of the glory. We pray it in his name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Hear now the inerrant, infallible word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Our focus this evening is really verse 18. That's where we're going to camp out. We'll, we'll reference the other commandments a, a few times tonight, but really that's our focus. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And uh, to be honest, this is in our culture, in, in our day in the West, uh, I think really in the running for maybe uh, one of, if not the most controversial commands and subjects in the entirety of the Scriptures. I would certainly place it in the top three. It's up there. I've found that the subject in general of, of a woman's role as applied to her role as a wife and as a mother and what it means to be a woman in general, a topic which honestly, if you went back just 60, 70 years, wouldn't have been controversial, is now today a hot topic. In the modern Western church, I've, I've found it to be the case that uh, the same rules apply to this subject of a woman's rule as applied in the Old Testament to the Ark of the Covenant. Don't even touch it unless you want to die. You can preach all day long. You can make Facebook and Twitter posts all day long about the roles and the obligation of a man, and of a husband and a father, and virtually get zero pushback. Zero complaints, almost no feedback at all really. And certainly hardly ever negative feedback or comments. Unless, of course, you mention his role as the head of the household and what that looks like. But we'll save that for next time. I can think of the striking difference growing up in a variety of churches. Of the Mother's Day sermons versus the Father's Day sermons. Where as a child, every year you would hear on the Mother's Day sermons nothing but absolute encouragement. Women, you're doing great. Mothers, wives, there is no fault to be found. And then the stark contrast on the Father's Day sermons. Husbands, father, here's what you're doing wrong. 
Here's where you need to have improvement. And it wasn't wrong, but there was a big difference. Virtually every Mother's Day sermon or sermon in reference to women at all that I've ever heard is really nothing more than an attaboy. And we have to recognize this can't all the time be the case. Do we not, every single one of us brothers and sisters, have areas of improvement that we need to work at, that we need to strive towards? The few times, if ever, that you hear passages like ours today even touched on by anyone, it's either giving a thousand qualifications on what submit doesn't mean, or actually outright denying that this passage is still applicable to us in the 21st century at all. And the latter is, I think, way more common in our culture. There are many, many, even within the Protestant church here in the West that would reject this word submit altogether. That want to do away with it altogether. And so I want to make a few things clear as we look at the text before us. Uh, three points, if that's what you want to call it this evening. They're, they're not catchy, there's not alliteration. I apologize, maybe next time. Uh, but they are, I think, straightforward. The first thing I want us to look at this evening is that this command is perpetual. This command is perpetual. It is ongoing. To put it in a negative sense, it hasn't stopped. It's still applicable. Secondly, I want us to look at the fact that submit means submit. We're not going to do the thousand qualifications tonight. Some would call this month no quarter November. And I think we'll move along in that same sense. Submit means Submit. There are some words in our scriptures that sometimes as we look at the Hebrew or the Greek, you can get a fuller sense or maybe a little bit of a different light. This, this isn't one of them. Submit means submit. And third and finally, I want us to look at what that submission entails, specifically when we look at, at Paul's addition there at the end where he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What does that entail? What does that look like? What difference does that make? And so first, let's look at this simple fact that this command is perpetual. It is ongoing. Brothers and sisters, it it applies to us today in America in 2022. This command for wives to submit to their husbands is perpetual. It is binding in all times, in all cultures. And it is not just limited to the era and the place and the region in which Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. Some That's really being generous. Many, most, will try to argue that it's not really applicable anymore. You know, most, at least, I think, Protestants, at least evangelicals, won't go so far, at least least outright, uh, to say that, you know, we just throw this out. We just throw it away, rip it out. It's usually some variation of some type of explanation that, well, uh, when when Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, you got to take into mind the culture that he was writing in. Things were different. It doesn't apply to us. They'll try to argue that it's a cultural thing. But I think this argument falls completely flat when we look at the entirety of the rest of the scriptures and honestly just Paul's reasoning taken plainly at face value in the passage itself. And so right off the bat, let's consider this. If this were a cultural command, would not logically then we would have to apply that to the rest of the commands in this passage? We can't pick and choose... We can't take some and leave some. If, if this command to wives is one that is cultural, meaning it's no longer applicable to us today, we have to be consistent and apply that to the command for husbands to love their wives. 
Is that cultural? Is that no longer binding? What about the commandment of children? Obey your parents. I know you sometimes might, would enjoy that if I said that. That's not what I'm going to say this evening, kids. It, it absolutely still applies. You can't say one part of the passage is outdated and just cultural and not the rest. Whereas you consider the other passages in the New Testament where we find this, these commandments surrounding women, wives, mothers. It's usually very closely attached to passages that deal with issues such as homosexuality. You can't say that one is cultural and no longer applicable and that the rest is not. But it's not cultural. It's not outdated. Paul here, like he does in Ephesians and like he does in every other passage where this subject is addressed, he appeals to creation, not a specific culture as the basis of the command that he gives. This command for wives to submit to their husbands is rooted in creation, the fall, the very nature of things as they exist. Paul appeals to creation. He appeals to the very created order. And we're also going to see that he appeals to redemption. Creation and redemption. Both here and in the companion passage in Ephesians 5, and we're going to go back to Ephesians 5 a lot, because it's essentially the same passage. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians were both intended to be circular letters. Ephesus and Colossae were both cities that weren't that far away from each other. Both were within the Lycus Valley, and both of these letters... Most scholars agree, weren't just intended for just that specific church, but as they were read and studied and applied by that church, they would circulate to the other churches, and so they connect. Paul appeals, both here and in Ephesians, to creation. He gives a clear biblical mandate that wives are to be submissive to their husbands, and husbands are to be the head of their wives. Consider 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Where Paul, again, appeals to the order of creation. The fact that, as he says, quote, Adam was formed first and then Eve. And he appeals also in that passage to the subsequent fall, where he says, quote, It was not Adam that was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, where Paul again appeals to the naturally created order, to nature itself, that creation. Nature, and not just creation, not just you and me. He even appeals to the angels, where he says creation itself teaches that the husband is the head of the wife, the head of the home. And so then, brothers and sisters, I I would appeal to you that this is not chauvinism, but rather creationism. This is the created order. It's not something we can throw out as, as a part of a bygone era. It is essential to Christian creationism. And as if that were not enough, Paul even appeals to redemption. He bases his command for wives to submit to their husbands in the two most powerful, unchanging realities that God has ever brought about in the universe. Creation and redemption, as we've already covered in Colossians to the discerning listener. The whole point of the book in a nutshell is what? That Christ is the preeminent Lord over creation and over redemption. And Paul appeals to both of these realities. In the companion passage in Ephesians 5, it'd be worth turning over there, keeping a finger in both, because we're going to be going back and forth. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands. And notice what he appeals to here. As to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What is the basis of Paul's reasoning? Is it a culture that passed away 2,000 years ago? Or is it creation and redemption? Paul unites these commandments, it seems, even with gospel ideas themselves. And this shouldn't be foreign to us, brothers and sisters, should it? it we, we really were talking about this same thing the last few sermons as we looked at mortification and vivification. Right? That a Christian, uh, Pastor Brian this morning uh, spoke somewhat there in Ephesians on, on Paul's commandments to walk worthy. That we as Christians are to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but as Martin Luther so often said, not by a faith that remains alone. Fruits will accompany it. This is no different. And so first, we see that this commandment is perpetual, brothers and sisters. It is ongoing. It has not ceased. Not only do we get no indication of that, but quite the contrary. Every place where Paul brings this position up, this commandment up, this relationship in the home up, he appeals to both creation and redemption, to absolutely unchanging realities. Secondly, we need to see that submit means submit. Submit means submit. We need to be clear on this. Some, again, that's being nice, many, will, will try their hardest to make this word mean anything but the word. But this is one of those cases where it really does just mean what it says. I have the ESV. It's, it's my preferred translation. It says submit. But depending on your translation, if you have the NASB, it might say to be subject. And really this word can be translated a number of ways, but I hope you see as I go through these, they all mean the same thing. Submit, be subject. It can be rendered to obey. It can be rendered to be subordinate. And it can be rendered to yield. But it all gives the same idea. And again, I think we have to be consistent with the whole passage. Right? Any, any one of you who's followed the news at all in the last four, five, six years has probably experienced along with me the absolute frustration that comes from news organizations taking parts of what someone says out of context, slapping on a headline and just watching the rage machine pump out profits. Both sides do it. Every, every news organization does it. It's what gives them money. But I would hope that as Christians, we don't do the same with this word. We have to be consistent with the whole passage. You don't find anyone looking at this passage and trying to reason that when it says, husbands love your wives, that love means something other than love. Or that when it says, children obey your parents, that it means something other than obey. Or that when it says, servants obey your masters, that it means something other than obey. We have to be consistent. As we are trying to understand what Paul means by submit, consider the companion passage again in Ephesians 5 for clarity. Paul writes again in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. It's really an expansion on what we find here in Colossians. He writes, wives, submit to your own husbands. What does that word mean, Paul? Well, Paul actually really defines it and gives an example here. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
So now as the church submits to Christ, in other words, in that way, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so really, I, I, think, I think we can do something simple. If we want to know what Paul means by submit, ask yourself, how is the church supposed to submit to the Lord, the head of the body, Christ? That's exactly how the wife is to submit to her husband, the head of his house. Third, what does this submission entail? What does it mean when Paul adds there at the end of that phrase, as is fitting in the Lord? I promise you it's not a throwaway mention. It's crucial to our understanding of the passage. What does the submission entail? To quote John Stott, it entails a humble recognition of the divine ordering of the household. A humble recognition of the divine ordering of the household. The command is, after all, wives submit to your own husbands, and he doesn't just throw a period after that, does he? Wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So I think Paul wants wives to know then a few things. So if you're taking notes, these would be subpoints, I guess. Paul wants wives to know then, firstly, that it is not only how God has made it to be, but that he has made it that way for their good. It is not only how God has made it to be, sisters, but it is how he has made it to be for your good. How often I wish as a parent already uh, to my two boys as I try to explain things to them so often, sometimes, I'm going to be really candid, y'all are parents too, so I know I'm not going to be by myself, sometimes the rules me and Carly have is for our good. Uh, You know, when it's 5.30 in the morning and you were so hopeful that you were going to make it through one cup of coffee before they woke up and they they run in the kitchen with a billion questions and you love them, but y'all know what I'm saying. In that moment, right, the, the be quiet, it's more for my good than for their good. But most of the time, most of the time, I promise you, my instructions for them is for their good. How often have I wished already in, in just the, the three years that we've had children, I wish I could convey that. And I know the other parents have had to have felt that. How often when we have the wood-burning stove going at a, 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 a ripe 1,200 degrees and Sammy and Liam both are just drawn to it like a moth to a literal flame, How often I wish they could understand when I tell them, no, don't touch it, and they start crying and they get mad at me. I wish I could convey to them, this is for your good. I'm not not being mean. This is one of those areas, sisters, that this is not only how God has made it to be, but he has made it this way for your good. This is God's divinely given order for the household. And when humanity tries to disobey and reverse his order... Reverse his divinely given roles. Just like you see with Adam and Eve in the fall, it will always result in the destruction of both the man and the self-destruction of the woman. Every time. And so then submission to the husband is not the opposite of liberation for the wife. Any more than submission to Christ is the opposite of liberation for the church. I want you to know, sisters, that it is not only how God has made it to be, but he's also made it this way for your good. Secondly, what does this submission entail? Secondly, this being the divine ordering of the household, this command being rooted in the Lord, as Paul says, and not in the husband, 
This means that the wife's submission to her husband is not a response to the husband's worthiness of submission or to his obedience to the command given for him to love his wife, but rather a response to Christ's worthiness of your submission. I know that was a mouthful, so let me put it another way. In other words, the command for wives to submit to their husbands is not contingent upon your husband's worth and his obedience to the command. And before you lose it and get mad at me, this, would work, this works the same way in the other commands that we're going to get to. So consider this. The command is not wives submit to your husbands as long as they are found to be worthy of your submission. The command is not wives submit to your husbands as long as they are loving you perfectly. The command is wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so wives, you submit to your husbands because Christ, your Lord, is worthy of your submission. And he has commanded that you submit to your husbands. And again, this works the same way with the other sections that we're going to get to. The command to husbands then is not, husbands love your wives as long as they are found worthy of your love. What a horrible thing that would be if that's how it worked. The command is not, husbands love your wives as long as they are submitting to you perfectly. The command is, husbands love your wives, period. It works the same way with the command to children. Sorry, kids. The command to children is not, children obey your parents in everything as long as they are worthy of your obedience. It is not, children obey your parents in everything as long as they are not provoking you. It is, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. The third thing this submission entails if the submission is ultimately to the Lord, if it, if it is a humble recognition of his divine ordering of the household, then that submission cannot entail disobedience to God. Your submission to your husband cannot entail disobedience to God. I think you will find as you go throughout the entirety of God's word a general theme running throughout the scriptures that we submit ourselves to the human authorities God has placed over us up and until it involves disobedience to God. Consider, for example, the situations that we find the apostles in in Acts. They weren't seeking a revolt, were they? No. We, we find them oftentimes praying things such as, let us live a quiet and godly life. We don't find them seeking to, to entice rebellions and overthrow their governments, No. But we do find that when the civil authorities, the authority that God had placed over them, commanded them to stop speaking any more in the name of Christ, what did the apostles say? We can't do it. <laughs> Lock us up if you want. We, we can't do it. When the authorities commanded them to stop speaking, they had to disobey. And likewise, sister, if the husband commands what God forbids or forgives what God commands... It is then the wife's duty in that situation to disobey her husband. Until then, it is her duty to submit. Once again, we will see the same thing applied to children obeying their parents and servants their masters. Fourthly, the submission entails looking to the example of Jesus Christ himself. 
and seeing that our differing roles do not signify differing worth or value. One commentator wrote that Jesus Christ demonstrates rather than loses his dignity by his subordination to the Father. Consider that example. Though Christ was and is and forever will and truly be fully God, 100%, the second person of the Trinity, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, we find that while he was on earth, according to Philippians 2, we're told that in that time he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Submission for Christ then was not a synonym for inferiority. And neither should it be for the wife. Christ, while on earth, willingly submitted himself to the Father, not because there was a difference in worth or a difference in value or a difference in significance, but there was a difference in role. And so wives, please understand that the equality of worth does not mean identity of role. And this is something I think our culture, in a broad sense, has missed 100%. We are not all the same. And that's not a bad thing. We are different. Men are different than women, and women are different than men, and we've been given different roles, different things that we're good at, different things that we struggle with. But that doesn't signify a difference in worth or value or significance. The Lord has given wives and husbands different roles, but that does not in any way, shape, or form show a difference in their worth, their value, or their significance. Quote Martin Luther another time, if that's okay. I think it's okay to quote Martin Luther a couple times in one sermon. Martin Luther wrote on this subject. He said, I have often said that we must sharply distinguish between these two, the office and the person. The man named Hans or Martin is a man quite different from the one who is called elector or doctor or preacher. Here we have two different persons in one man. The one is that which we are created or born according to which we are all alike, man or woman or child, young or old. But once we are all born, God adorns and dresses you up as another person. He makes you a child and me a father, one a master and another a servant, one a prince and another a citizen. We can think of what takes place at a yield sign when driving. The driver in the car that yields does not show itself to be inferior to the driver in the car that leads, but rather they show submission to the law of the land and a recognition to a difference in role for the good order of the road. Likewise, then, we could understand it that when the wife submits to her husband, she does not show herself to be inferior to her husband, but rather she shows submission to the law of God. And recognition to a difference in roles for the good order of the home. And so what do we see as we look at this commandment here? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We see three things. That this command is perpetual. It hasn't stopped. It isn't limited to one culture and one region 2,000 years ago. It is still ongoing and it will be ongoing forever. Secondly, submit means submit. 
I think as a general rule of thumb, whenever we come across passages of Scripture and we spend more time trying to make it say something it doesn't than just hearing what it has to say, the problem is not with God's Word. Submit means submit. And third and finally, we consider what submission entails. That it's for the wife's good, not her harm. That it's rooted in her submission to the Lord and His worthiness, not your husband's. That it cannot entail disobedience to God. And that looking to Christ's example, that wives should be reminded that the difference in role does not signify a difference in worth or value or significance or meaning. This is Paul's instructions here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is one aspect that we should see as we grow in our mortification and vivification. We should see growth in these roles in the church like we looked at last time and in these roles in the home. And so that we can't escape it, like with any other aspect of our sanctification, there will sometimes be two steps forward, three steps back. None of us are perfect this side of heaven. I can perfectly tell you, I can absolutely tell you I have not perfectly loved Carly at all times and in all seasons. Certainly not. But if there's not growth, there's an issue. I can guarantee you I love Carly more consistently and better and show it better now than I did seven years ago. I would hope that ten years in the future I would be able to look back at this time and say the same. Brothers and sisters, what I would offer to you is that the same applies in the sanctification of the growth of the wife and her submission to her husband, in the sanctification and the growth of the children in obedience to their parents, and in the sanctification and growth of workers to their employers, servants to their masters. Let's go to God in prayer and ask that His Holy Spirit would strengthen us in this endeavor. Almighty God and gracious Savior, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the preaching practice handed down by so many faithful men before of Lectio Continua. Lord, that in the Protestant and Presbyterian tradition, we, we can't simply skip passages that might be initially uncomfortable, Lord. That as we preach through books of the Bible, we preach what it has and We thank you for your wisdom, Lord, that all of this is your word. That as we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of it, every word is useful for teaching, for training up in righteousness, for reproof, for training us that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would do exactly that, that through the preaching and the hearing of your word and through the obedience to it, Lord, that you would strengthen your people, that you would sanctify us this week, that you would conform us evermore to the image of Christ our Savior. We pray it in his name and for his glory. Amen.